In this episode of Free Circle Freedoms, we continue with the 28 principles outlined in the 5,000 year leap, a miracle that changed the world. In this episode, we cover principle 13, 14, 15, and 16. Principle 13, protection against human frailty. 14th principle, property rights essential to liberty. 15th principle, free market economics. And 16th principle, the separation of powers. The 13th principle, a constitution should be structured to permanently protect the people from the human frailties of their rulers. At the Constitutional Convention, the Founding Fathers were concerned with the one tantalizing question which no political scientist in any age had yet been able to answer with complete satisfaction. The question was, how can you have an efficient government but still protect the freedoms and unalienable rights of the people? Distrust of power, not necessarily disrespect of leaders. The founders had more confidence in the people than they did in the leaders of the people. Especially trusted leaders, even themselves, they felt the greatest danger arises when a leader is so completely trusted that the people feel no anxiety to watch him. Alexander Hamilton wrote, For it is a truth which the experience of all ages has attested that the people are commonly most in danger when the means of inquiring their rights are in the possession of those whom they entertain the least suspicion. 200 years of American history have demonstrated the wisdom of the founders in proclaiming a warning against the frailties of human nature in the people's elected or appointed leaders. Every unconstitutional action has usually been justified because it was for a good cause. Every illegal transfer of power from one department to another has been excused as necessary. Thomas Jefferson struck out with all the force that tongue and pen could master against trusting in human nature. Said he, it would be a dangerous delusion where confidence in the men of our choice to silence our fears for the safety of our rights. That confidence is everywhere, the parent of despotism. Free government is found in jealousy and not in confidence. It is jealousy and not confidence which prescribes limited constitutions to bind down those whom we are obliged to trust with power that our constitution has accordingly fixed the limit to which and no further our confidence may go. George Washington, he said, Government is not reason. It is not eloquence. It is force, like fire. 
It is a dangerous servant and a fearful master. Leaders are not angels, but fragile human beings. James Madison saw the problem of placing power in the hands of a fallible human beings who, by nature, contain a complexity of elements reflecting both good and evil. The purpose of a constitution is to define the area in which a public official can serve to his utmost ability, but at the same time provide strict limitations to chain him down from mischief. Anyone who says the American Constitution is obsolete just because social and economic conditions have changed does not understand the real genius of the Constitution. It was designed to control something which has not changed and will not change, namely human nature. When erosion occurs, act quickly. It is proper to take alarm at the first experiment on our liberties. The 14th Principle Life and liberty are secure only so long as the right to property is secure. Under English common law, a most unique significance was attached to the unalienable right of possessing, developing, and disposing of property. Land and the products of the earth were considered a gift of God, which were to be cultivated, beautified, and brought under dominion. As the psalmist had written, Even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. Psalms 115.16 Mankind given the earth in common. John Locke pointed out that the human family originally received the planet earth as a common gift, and that mankind was given the capacity and the responsibility to improve it. He said, God, who hath given the world to men in common, has also given them reason to make use of it to the best advantage of life and convenience. Then Locke pointed out that man received commandment from his creator to subdue the earth and have dominion over it. Genesis 1.28 but because dominion means control, and control requires exclusiveness, private rights in property became an inescapable necessity or an inherent aspect of subduing the earth and bringing it under dominion. It is obvious that if there were no such thing as ownership in property, which means legally protected, exclusiveness, there would be no subduing or extensive development of the resources of the earth. Without private rights in developed or improved property, it would be perfectly lawful for a lazy, covetous neighbor to move in as soon as the 
improvements were completed and take possession of the fruits of his industrious neighbor. And even the covetous neighbor would not be secure because someone stronger than he could take it away from him. Note that if property rights did not exist, four things would occur which would completely frustrate the Creator's command to multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and bring it under dominion. One experience like the above would tend to completely destroy the incentive of an industrious person to develop and improve any more property. Two, the industrious individual would also be deprived of the fruits of his labor. Three, marauding bands would even be tempted to go about the country, confiscating by force and violence the good things which others has frugally and painstakingly provided. Number four, mankind would be impelled to remain on a bare substance level of hand-to-mouth survival because the accumulation of anything would invite attack. Whatsoever then he remove out of the state that nature hath provided and left it in, he hath mixed his labor with it and joined to it something that is his own and thereby makes it his property. He that is nourished by the acorns he pick up under an oak, or the apples he gathered from the trees in the woods, has certainly appro appropriated them to himself. Nobody can deny, but the nourishment is his. I ask then, when did they begin to be his? When he digested? Or when he ate? Or when he boiled? Or when he brought them home? Or when he picked them up? And it is plain. If the first gathering made them not his, nothing else could. How is ownership acquired? Locke then deals with the very important question. If all things were originally enjoyed in common with the rest of humanity, would a person not have to get the consent of every other person on earth before he could call certain things his own? Locke answers this by saying that labor added something to them, the apples and the acorns, that is. More than nature, the common mother of all, had done, and so they became his private right. And will anyone say he had no right to those acorns or apples? He thus appropriated because he had not the consent of all mankind to make them his. If such a consent is as that was necessary, man would starve, notwithstanding the plenty God had given him. It is the taking any part of what is common and removing it out of the state. Nature leaves it in, which begins the property, without which the common gift from God is of no use. Thus, this law of reason makes the deer the property of the Indian who hath killed it. 
it is allowed to be his goods, who hath bestowed his labor upon it, though before it was common right of everyone. Property rights are sacred. It is important to recognize that common law does not make property sacred, but only the right which someone has acquired in the property. Justice George Sutherland of the U.S. Supreme Court once told the New York State Bar Association, It is not the right of property which is protected, but the right to property. Property, per se, has no rights, but the individual, the man, has three great rights, equality, sacred from arbitrary interference, the right to his life, the right to his liberty, and the right to his property. The three rights are so bond together as to be essentially one right. To give a man his life but deny him his liberty is to take from him all that makes his life worth living. Primary purpose of government is to protect property. The 15th principle. The highest level of prosperity occurs when there is a free market economy and a minimum of government regulations. The founders were fascinated with the possibility of setting up a political and social structure based on natural law. But what about economics? Were there natural laws for the marketplace? A tome of five books on the subject was published just in the nick of time, which gave them the answer. It came out in 1776 and was called The Wealth of Nations. It was written by a college professor in Scotland named Adam Smith. This brilliant work is not easy reading. It became the watershed between mercantilism and the doctrines of free market economics. It fit into the thinking and experiences of the founders like a hand in a glove. The Four Laws of Economic Freedom Prosperity also depends on a climate of wholesome stimulation protected by law, reduced to its simplest formula. There are four laws of economic freedom which a nation must maintain if its people are to prosper at the maximum level. These four laws are 1. The freedom to try. 2 the freedom to buy, three, the freedom to sell, and four, but most of importance, the freedom to fail. By 1905, the United States had become the richest industrial nation in the world, with only 5% of the Earth's continental land area and merely 6% of the world's population. The American people were producing over half of almost everything. Clothes, food, houses, transportation, communications, even luxuries. It was a great tribute to Adam Smith. 
The Role of Government in Economics The Founding Fathers agreed with Adam Smith that the greatest threat to economic prosperity is the arbitrary intervention of the government into the economic affairs of private business and the buying public. Historically, this has usually involved fixing prices, fixing wages, controlling production, controlling distribution, granting monopolies, or subsidizing certain products. Nevertheless, there are four areas of legitimate responsibility which properly belong to the government. These involve the policing responsibilities of government to prevent 1. Illegal force 2. Fraud 3. Monopoly and 4. Debauchery So those are the simple principles that a nation must follow. Sixteenth and final principle of this episode, the government should be separated into three branches, legislative, executive, and judicial. Development of separation of powers in America. It may come as a surprise to modern Americans to learn how slowly the doctrine of separation of powers was accepted in America. The states were perfectly willing to set up a single executive, a separate legislative, usually with an upper and lower house, and also an independent judiciary. But they were certainly not agreeable to setting up a three-department government on the federal level. It will be recalled that when the Articles of Confederation were written, neither an executive nor a judiciary was provided for. Provisions was made for a Congress of Representatives from the various states, but even the Congress had no taxing power or enforcement power. It was simply a committee of states. So I'm going to leave the 16th principle at that, and I hope you read the entire book, The 5,000 Year Leap, Principles of Freedom 101, a miracle that changed the world. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Free Circle Freedoms. And make sure to join us next time as we cover the next four principles outlined in the 5,000 Year Leap. Principles of Freedom 101. A miracle that changed the world. Mm-hmm.